Welcome to Consecrated, a podcast created to uplift the beauty and individuality of the religious vocation and that of the service of the different religious orders. Through interviews with religious brothers, fathers, and sisters, may we encounter the true light that penetrates true consecrated life. Okay. Welcome, everybody, to the Consecrated Podcast. Today, we will be having an interview with Father Thaddeus Langton, who is a Marian of the Immaculate Conception, correct? Correct. Okay, so let's begin with a Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, you are with the Marians of the Immaculate Conception. How long have you been with the Order? Yes, so thank you. I've been with the Marians since technically July 16th of 2007. That's when I entered the postulancy in Washington, D.C., and I was ordained in 2015. So that's coming up on almost nine years is coming May of being a priest. That is awesome. Do you have any fun facts about yourself? <laughs> One of my brothers said that he would need to cancel my passport because uh, I have been here, there and everywhere, both to give missions and also just to live. I've lived in Bolivia, Argentina, Poland, Philippines. I've visited Rome for extended periods of time and uh, visited a host of other countries. So I just got back from Uganda in August. Wow. So I had quite an experience uh, around the world. So you've been everywhere. Do you have a favorite place that you've been? Uh, each place has a particular aspect that I've enjoyed. I do remember when I was asked to come back to the U.S. from the Philippines, I was rather saddened because the Filipinos in general are quite warm and I was pretty introverted. So they drew me out of myself. So at that time, I really fell in love with their culture and their way of living their faith. Uh, so that was a, one particular moment I was very sad to leave compared to the other places I've been. Yeah, that's amazing. So what is the charism of the Amer- Marians of the Immaculate Conception? Yeah. So like the name itself implies, uh, In our constitutions, which we just revised in 2017, uh, paragraph two now simply states that the essence of our charism is the mystery of the Immaculate Conception. And since some of the Marians in Poland are PhD theologians and teach full time, their choice of words is purposeful. So it's not just devotion to the Immaculate Mother of God, but the mystery, which implies the engagement of the three divine persons that There's an aspect of this dogma that applies to how God the Father lavishes his unmerited gratuitous love on Our Lady, how the Son is the one who, through his death, pours forth grace upon her, even when she's conceived, as it were, outside of time. Uh, And the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies her and who is the very reason that she is made immaculate. And she, as it were, forms the blueprint uh, of what God wants to do in the whole church, because we believe that God wants the church to be immaculate and all of us individually. So that's why we clarify that it's the mystery because it's something broader than simply what happened in Our Lady uh, over 2000 years ago. That is beautiful. So when, where, and why 
was your order first established? Who kind of started that? Um, who started yeah. the Marians? So St. Stanislaus of Papchinsky, or Stanislaus of Jesus and Mary Papchinsky, who was recently canonized by Pope Francis in 2016, he was alive from 1630 to 1701. He originally entered the Pierist order, St. Joseph Calasans, whose memory uh, memorial we celebrate in August, I think the 25th. Uh, he entered there and was actually well known. Uh, he was a confessor for a future pope. He was a confessor for the Polish king, well known as an orator and wrote actually books on oratory that were used well into the 1900s in Poland. Uh, but he was uh, persecuted in more than one way uh, for standing up for poverty and for some other uh, disciplines that were lacking in the Polish province at the time. So he eventually left and on December 11th, 1670, made his oblatio, his oblation or self-offering. And in that, uh, offering himself to God completely, to Our Lady, he also vowed to establish the Marians of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, during the time of his persecution with the Purists, he was imprisoned. He was actually on the brink of death and denied even the last rites. Uh, so he underwent quite a bit. And during that dark wow. time, uh, he says in one of his recollections, one of his written works, that during that dark time, the Holy Spirit imprinted on his heart this inspiration of founding the Marians of the Immaculate Conception. And he takes pains to point that out, to make clear that it wasn't his idea. He wasn't, uh, you know, concocting this on his own because he was being persecuted, but rather a sheer gift of the Lord redirecting his heart and his life. Uh, so this all happened in Poland. Uh, we were starting in 1670, and Poland's the date we recognize as the founding, even though it was just his vows, but in 1673 was our first house established and then canonically uh, recognized by the local bishop. And then in 1701, the year that he died, we were received papal approval with the ability to make solemn vows. Uh, and that's one of his last things that he did before he passed away. So for most of our history, we've been a Polish congregation for that reason, uh, not because we exclusively wanted to be such, but uh, we bore a particularly Polish character because we were the only male religious community started by a Pole in Poland. Uh, wow. So. so how, um, in the U.S., how many, um, how many places do you guys serve, like, and kind of where? Yeah, so we have our Shrine of the Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, uh, which is our mother house. We have about 30 people there between priests, uh, perpetually professed brothers and seminarians, postulants as well. We have our formation houses here in Steubenville, Ohio, next to Franciscan University, where our men study, and in Washington, D.C., on the campus of Catholic University of America, where our seminarians study theology at the Dominican House right across the street. Uh, we have some parishes as well, because we used to be two distinct provinces, now merged into one in the U.S., the Lithuanian province and the Polish province, uh, mostly for racial tension at the time. Lithuanians were not too enthused about Poles and vice versa. So they decided for peace within the order to just keep them distinct. But now we, uh, with one community, one province, we have parishes in Darien, Illinois, in Plano, Illinois, and in Kenosha. So about five parishes in that area. We're actually not that big in terms of number. We have between 70 and 80 in the U.S., about 25 of which are in formation, so it's a pretty good percentage uh, given how many total we have, uh, but we don't have that many houses number-wise, 
but a lot of our outreach is through parish missions and other kind of specific services. So sometimes our name is much bigger than uh, our actual number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what does your daily prayer life look like? It depends on the houses. Uh, since I'm here in our formation house, we tend to do almost everything in common because life is dependable. I mean, the men have their courses, but we already know all of our schedules in advance. It would be different in a, a parish where uh, morning prayer and meditation might be more possible and everything else on their own. But here we have 6.30 morning prayer followed by a half hour adoration meditation before the Blessed Sacrament. That's immediately followed by Mass. And then at noon, we have daytime prayer with a midday examine. And then at 5.15 or 5.20, we have our rosary, 5.40 evening prayer, and then dinner after that, and an optional holy hour at night. Uh, optional, many some of our men do come, uh, but it's simply not an obligation on top of everything else, but it's simply available so many of our men will come at least for some time uh, between 8.30 and 9.30 at night. That's wonderful. Um, so what does, within the prayer life, um, what does a typical day look like for the order as a whole? Is there anything that you guys all share in common? Yeah, so we're somewhat of a mixture, I would say, between uh, kind of a Franciscan-style community life and a Jesuit-style apostolic life. Uh, I was actually with the Jesuits for a year before I entered the Marians. I entered their novitiate for a year. And they're much more apostolic-minded, so community life is present, um, but they're much more bent on apostolic work. So we're very apostolic-oriented when we're not uh, just in community, uh, but when we are in community, then community prayer is uh, obligatory, but just very encouraged as well, beyond just being kind of uh, an obligation. So we tend to pray as much as we can in common with the understanding that with priests, especially because of apostolic duties, we may have to do certain things on our own. So if I don't make it back for daytime prayer, that's just understood uh, that I may not make it back to the house. But morning prayer and evening prayer are more essential in terms of generally you try to accommodate in all of our houses. At least we can do those uh, together each day besides at least one meal together. Okay. So when when are some of your particular celebrations and what do they look like in regards to just any other regular day. Yeah, so the feast of the or the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, because that's our paternal feast day, it depends on the house, how it is celebrated, since a parish will often have more of a communal celebration in terms of inviting parishioners as well after a big mass. For our formation houses, typically what we'll do is instead of having the mass in the morning, we'll keep it for the evening so that it can be an extended mass and then a nice dinner afterward. So that's the time that we as it were, go all out uh, in terms of having nice steaks or some things that on ordinary days or even on Sundays we don't have. So making sure we have some homemade ice cream or other things that the guys will prepare <laughs> to make it special. Uh, the other big day for us, especially in this province, is the Div uh, Divine Mercy Sunday. So in Stockbridge, uh, we spend months preparing that because about 21,000 people at its peak would come. COVID impacted that. But uh, at its best, will attract about 21,000 people, so about 300 buses at times of people that will come. Wow. And that's what we're perhaps most known for in the U.S., because um, it's a long history that I'll spare you right now, but Blessed Michael Sapochko, the spiritual director of St. Faustina, entrusted a lot of materials directly from Faustina to one of our priests who had to escape Poland. 
And Blessed Sapochko did that purposely because he understood that Poland would be a very dangerous place in World War II if anything survived the bombings and the raids. Uh, and so he sent it with Father Zambowski, who actually didn't believe it, but said to the Lord, if this is real, then get me safe, and then I promise you I will spread it. And of course, he got to the U.S. safely, and he began to spread it, and so much that it just caught like a wildfire. Uh, and so that's what we're most known for, even though our, our charism is not strictly the divine mercy, but includes it as well. That is beautiful. What what a show of the divine love of God. <laughs> and his amazing providence. because uh, Amazing providence. A, a small community we reduced to only one member in 1910 because Tsarist Russia persecuted us, wouldn't allow anyone to enter or leave, actually. We just not even leave our houses, no apostolic work. Uh, and so in 1911, our renovator, Blessed George, renewed us. Uh, and since then, we've taken off again. And the Lord used this small congregation of almost nothing uh, to spread such an important message. So it's a joy to be part of that. That is amazing. So what is the process of entering this community? And what's kind of the age span of acceptance? Yes. So... Father Donald Calloway has a, a big name because of his story that uh, he shares about his conversion and his experience of Divine Mercy in Our Lady. He's our vocation director, and since he travels a lot, it's easy for him to be able to visit people. And often what he'll do is he'll receive emails from many people interested in the community. And during his travels, he'll often try to find ways when he's closer to those cities to actually go out and visit these people for a first contact. Then we have come and see retreats here in this house in Steubenville, Ohio, and that's basically three days, so Friday, Saturday, and then part of Sunday, just to get an experience of what it's like to actually be here in our house, experience the other men in formation, uh, just feel what it's like being among us. And if the person so desires and Father Don thinks the person's a good fit, then he'll give the application process, which... It's changed over the years, but basically consists of a few letters of recommendation, your own personal story, psychological evaluation, uh, and your interview with Father Don. So it's not too complicated. Yeah. So what are your vows as a Marian and kind of when are they taken? We take the three simple vows. So under St. Stanislaus, we were raised to the rank of an order, but when we were renewed by Blessed George for canonical reasons, Pope Pius X changed us into a congregation. So now we take simple vows, which is a canonical difference of who can absolve us from the vows. But we take simple vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, which are temporary vows. So we do one year of postulancy, one year of novitiate, and then profess temporary vows for three years, but you renew it each year. So one year, one year, one year then you're eligible for perpetual vows. Now, for someone like myself, since I entered pretty much right out of high school, uh, I had a lot of studies to finish because I had to go through college, just normal college, and then go through seminary. So they basically said, well, you're eligible, but there's no rush. Just take your time. So for some people, they may take longer to get to perpetual vows, uh, but that's at least before diaconate. Um, and then shortly after, usually perpetual vows is diaconate and then priestly ordination. Okay. So... Are you, as a congregation, are you given religious names? We used to have that practice, and it wasn't so much that the name itself was changed, but that, like I mentioned with our founder, uh, often names would be inserted between the first and the last name. So Stanislaus of Jesus and Mary Papchinsky. 
uh, or uh, Joachim of St. Joseph Kozłowski. Today, that's not a practice after the renovation. There are a lot of traditions, small t traditions that were changed uh, out of necessity uh, by Blessed George. Whether that will come back, time will tell because I've heard people ask about it. But as of right now, uh, we just keep our baptismal names. Okay. So do you wear anything um, significant that kind of shows that you're part of an order and not just another pastor, priest? Right. So I'm actually waiting. It's interesting you ask because I'm waiting on a FedEx package to arrive tomorrow with our habit. <laughs> because just this past February in our general chapter, we changed the constitutions to go back to our habit. Because we were literally persecuted to one man, uh, Blessed George, in order for us to survive, took away the habit because we were in Tsarist Russia that emphasized orthodoxy and they were not too enthused about Catholics. And a white habit, which is what St. Stanislaus enjoined us to wear, was pretty apparent to the Orthodox that we weren't Orthodox. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Blessed George, out of necessity and under the influence of then Pope Pius X, who instructed this, uh, said to just wear what diocesan priest would wear, a cassock or a normal clerical shirt. But like I said, this past February, we changed it. So I'm literally waiting on the package to arrive. I thought it arrived today and I was hoping I'd have it already, but uh, it'll arrive tomorrow. And it's simply a, a white cassock. So just like the black cassock, but just different colors. So it's very simple, but as a symbol of Our Lady's Immaculate Conception of her Immaculate Purity. Uh, and I sometimes joke, I say, uh, it'll be quite the task to live my charism even on a practical level because immaculate means to be free of stain and keeping a white cassock free of stain will indeed be quite a feat <laughs> in daily life. Yep, yep. So what are some uh, saints that are associated? Do you have any saints associated with the Marians? Um, and is there a youth saint that you guys have associated with your congregation? Sure. So our founder recently canonized, uh, St. Stanislaus of Jesus and Mary Papchinsky, Blessed George Matulaitis, was a archbishop by the time he died, but he first entered the community as a priest. He died in 1926, if I remember correctly, or 27. Uh, he renovated us. And then we have two martyrs who are blesseds, uh, blesseds Anthony and George. And they are both Belarusians who died in Roshitsa, in the 1940s, they were burned alive because they chose to remain with their parishioners, despite the warnings of Nazis and others hinting to them that you need to leave or else you will die with the parishioners. And they conscientiously chose to stay, to not abandon uh, their flock in a moment of danger. So those are those that are officially recognized. We have a venerable Kazimir Vyshinsky who died in 1755. Uh, whose cause for canonization is open. We're waiting, I believe, for a confirmation of one of his miracles. And we have other martyrs under the communist regime, uh, one of whom, for instance, died giving absolution right before the Soviet soldiers uh, killed various people in the gulags. And he purposely stood in front to be able to give absolution before they died. Uh, so there's a lot of beautiful stories like that. I don't think we have a, a, a youth saint uh, I would say that our blessed George or Yeje, uh, he's probably the youngest blessed that we have. I believe he was in his 30s when he died uh, in the flames with his parishioners. So he'd probably be the closest thing to a youth saint that we have. Yeah. 
Um, as the Marians of the Immaculate Conception, do you have a community of lay persons that is associated with yeah. with your community? So uh, the Dominicans, Carmelites, Franciscans have what's called a third order. And we recently had a, a kind of debate about this at one of our chapters that technically what we call the Association of Marian Helpers is our third order. We don't call it such nor does it proclaim itself as such, but practically speaking under canon law, it's more or less the same thing because it is associating lay people with our charism and our apostolate so that from their lives and the world, they're able to participate in our life and our spirituality. Uh, so that's based in Stockbridge. Uh, we have the shrine there and then we have the Association of Marian Helpers. And most people uh, know us through what the association does. So a lot of the talks of Father Chris for explaining the faith filmed at the shrine, but they're processed and produced by the Association of Marian Helpers, <laughs> those who work there. But more specifically, we also have the Confraternity of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, that came about even from the time of St. Stanislaus, and that even more emphasizes integrating oneself into our life and spirituality. So that carries even more prayer obligations, trying to live by the spirit of our rule and imitation of Our Lady's 10 evangelical virtues. That is beautiful. So what drew you in particular to this order? And did you consider any other um, orders or communities before you entered here? So I'll give my non-serious answer first for a dose of humor, and then I'll uh, share the serious answer because the non-serious answer actually was a decisive factor. Uh, when Lighthouse Media, this was before MP3s became the thing and you'd listen to Spotify through your phone, they had those little kiosks or uh, CD bookshelves in the back of the church. And at the time, I listened to Scott Hahn already, and then Father Karapi and all the others. And I saw Father Donald Calloway, MIC, and instinctively, I thought, you know, K-E-Y, oh, this is like the Disney priest. I mean, who is this guy? Who are these people? And out of sheer mockery, I picked up his CD, and I thought, I'll listen to this Disney priest. Of course, I, here I am now, years later, with the same initials. <laughs> But the Lord used my, you know, mockery and my lack of humility to <laughs> bring me here. I originally entered the Jesuits out of high school because I went to a very good Jesuit high school, straight Jesuit in Houston, and my brothers all did. So I grew up around them. Uh, and I knew even a Jesuit whose first assignment, only assignment really, has been to take care of Soviet, what used to be Soviet Russia and uh, Siberia, and then the former Soviet states which is just impressive to see a man so willing to sacrifice himself for the church where there's the greatest need. But uh, while I was there, it became apparent to my novice master and to myself that I hadn't anything against the Jesuits, but I gravitated towards praying the rosary, reading the diary of St. Faustina, praying the chaplet. And he said, not in a critical way, he said, those are all good things, but that's not what we do. You know, that's not per se our community's prayer life, uh, which I accepted. And when I learned about the Marians, uh, Father Don, at the end of his story, uh, you know, he has a very interesting story that didn't interest me, ironically, because I had done none of those things, thanks be to God. And I thought, well, that's cool, but I don't relate to any of that. <laughs> and he talked about praying for the souls in purgatory. I've lost all my parents, my grandparents when I was very young. So uh, praying for the deceased was just necessary since so many had passed away in my youth. And praying the rosary in common, was just part of life and praying the Divine Mercy Chaplain, promoting the Diary of Faustina was part and parcel of their apostolate. So it definitely is more up my street. Uh, and when I came to visit, it just felt very peaceful. Like, okay, I knew I wanted to be a religious and a priest. 
but this is definitely the specific place uh, where the Lord wants me to be. That is wonderful. And our last, we're coming to our last question. So considering our national Eucharistic revival, how is the Eucharist a part of your daily living? And is there anything that your community is offering as part of this Eucharistic revival? Yes. So Father Donald Calloway with one of our brothers has produced a book called Eucharistic Gems. I believe it's 365 quotes from saints about the Eucharist. And he sent me proofs for one of his upcoming books that I think is coming this January on the Eucharist. Uh, so that'll be just coming out for the Eucharistic revival. Father Andy Davey, who just transferred from our parish in Plano to our house in Stockbridge, he was appointed by the USCCB as one of the preachers, one of the priests appointed to preach in various dioceses on the Eucharist to encourage Eucharistic revival. Uh, and here in our house, from the daily prayer schedule, uh, we generally, just as part of our life, heavily emphasize uh, prayer before the Eucharist and especially adoration over the Eucharist. So here we have at least an hour of adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, exposed adoration, at least an hour a day. Uh, so that's just part and parcel of our spirituality and our daily life. That is amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been wonderful. It's been an absolute delight to get to talk to you. Thank you. My joy to be able to have this time with you as well. Thank you. And for our listeners out there, I will be putting the link to the Association of Marian Helpers website in the description in the episode notes. So if you have any questions that you want to look into, or if you want to donate or see what you can do um, in regards to whether becoming a Marian or part of the association, you can click on that link and go to their website. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Be sure to share what you have found with others. If you would like to donate or discover more about the featured religious order, check out the show notes for a link to their website. I hope that you will join us next time 